Hello, welcome back to another episode of the Code 321 Podcast. We have some very exciting guests for you today here. We have Jason Zider. Hello, Jason. Hey, Nick. And we have Christy joining us. Hello, Christy. How are you? Good. Good. Welcome to the studio. So, Jason, let's start with you. You are my business partner and one of the founding members of NETS. I am. Do you want to talk a little bit about how did you get into EMS? And then at the end, you want to just talk about how did this training company kind of come into play? Sure. So I started to get involved in EMS um, way back by watching Emergency. Um, <laughs> probably good joke, as, good joke. Johnny yeah, and Roy. And Johnny and Roy. They, they were my heroes. Yeah. Um, but more, uh, both my mom and dad were both uh, involved in fire and EMS. My mom was on a local ambulance service and my dad was also that. And, and uh, my stepfather was a police officer. Um, so that's how that started to happen in high school. Uh, I was part of a health careers program and we got to shadow. So I got to ride along with St. Mike's rescue. And at the same time, uh, was in a first responder class and, uh, <clears throat> Thanksgiving and Christmas time came around when they ran into some student shortages. And, uh, so they called me and said, Hey, you want to come hang out with a bunch of cool college kids? Because, uh, you know, you're a first responder. And I said, yeah. Uh, so in the rabbit hole I, I jumped into and, uh, started really liking it and I uh, wanted to pursue a career in public safety. And, uh, I've worn every hat in public safety, started off in fire and EMS, uh, mainly EMS, uh, Worked for the critical care transport team out of the UVM Medical Center, worked for Colchester Rescue uh, after Colchester Rescue, uh, went and got hired by Burlington Fire, worked at Burlington Fire. During that time, I was also a part-time police officer and uh, so did that and uh, got done Burlington Fire and uh, made the jump back into blue lights instead of red lights. And so I'm currently uh, working for the city of Winooski as a police officer and still teaching here at Nats. That's awesome. That's really great. You, you definitely have been around the ring. You've kind of done it all. So yep. we always appreciate yep. that type of feedback. So you also were one of the founding members of Nets. Right. right. So how did that company come out? Sure. Um, so back in uh, around 2010, uh, the four of us got together, Steve Pettit, uh, Tim Ferriss, and Jason Savoy and I, and we started talking about the demand for CPR and first aid classes. So <clears throat> we started putting our heads together about doing things like that. So we started teaching first aid and CPR. And because we were involved in EMS in teaching, I had been, I became an EMS instructor and uh, took the instructor class in 2005 and started helping out with uh, our district here in Chittenden County teaching the EMT class. Uh, we were actually approached by a local ambulance service that said, hey, we, we need a first responder class. Can you guys teach that for us? And so we said, sure. So we stepped up and taught the uh, first responder class. As soon as that finished, they said, can we have you back and teach an EMT class for us? And we said, yeah. And next thing we knew, we were getting requests for pre-hospital trauma life support classes, more EMT classes. Uh, I was an ACLS uh, and, and PALS instructor. So started teaching those around the area and, and uh, it just, it grew, it took off. Um, we, we're never planning to teach EMT classes, advanced EMT classes and, and all the other alphabet soup classes, but it just prospered and, and went on. And I was just realizing we're in 2021, we're 10 years old now. You are. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And something I always appreciated about the original owners is the fact that your business was so word of mouth for so long. Yep. I mean, I think yep. until 
you guys brought me on as an owner was and really started pushing the advertising and the website yeah. and all those other yeah. things. And it just shows that there's such a high demand for a high level EMS education. And I know that there's kind of this, uh, you know, brotherhood and sisterhood of the net students. And it goes way back. You know, I, I remember talking to somebody from, you know, five or six years ago. So, oh, so I, was, I was a Nets kid. And it's pretty cool to hear that stuff. Yeah. It's, it's also very rewarding and very awesome as an instructor to look back and see students who are now physicians or uh, medics on a helicopter. Um, you know, super, super proud of, you know, EMT students and, and advanced EMT students and where they are now in their career. I mean, I taught one of your classes. You did, I remember, yeah. yeah now absolutely. you're a paramedic with BFD. Here we are. Yeah. yeah, I know. I think something that we always value and I think you and I share as a mental model is making sure that whatever instructors we send to these courses that are wearing our T-shirts are really people that are really well-respected and know what they're talking absolutely. about. And they should both have the confidence, the knowledge, and the skill to be able to deliver a really high quality program. And that's everything from, you know, our basic first aid classes all the way up through, you know, when we teach PHDLS or those more advanced courses, we want to make sure that the staff that's there comes across as really knowing what they're doing. And if you do that quick background search, like we always do in Fire EMS, like, hey, Jason Zider's teaching me, you guys know Jason? Like, it's that, oh yeah, he's great. He's really solid. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and we handpick our staff to make sure that they're those type of people. You know, Absolutely. we're not just putting the wanted poster on the light pole. We're really yeah. seeking yeah. people out. So, and I think that's important because, you know, as we look at our instructors and as we have this instructor cadre that we have now, which is, I'm very proud of, um, you know, it's something, um, you know, it's people who are on the job, people who do the job, people who are on the job. And so when you teach a class like that, the student understands wow, this person knows what they're talking about. You know, you can get somebody who teaches a CPR class and they've never done it before. Um, or, you know, you teach a first aid class and you, you know, you talk to somebody about, you know, understanding what it is to have a seizure and you can explain it because you've been there, you've witnessed it and you've helped that. And I think that as we bring in our instructors and as they have life experience on the road, that makes such a better high quality instructor to provide that level of education to our students. Yeah, absolutely. You do need to pull from the book. We have a curriculum we need to teach, but you really do have to pull from your experience. And I think that students, you know, and Chris, you've had our CPR classes before. I think they, the students can tell right away if they ask, Hey, you know, how deep should I push? Hey, you know, I have a question about using an AED. I have a question about this. You know, right. what if the bleeding doesn't get controlled with direct pressure, having an instruction and say, yes, I had a scenario like that in my real life on a yep. call. And this is what I did to fix it. And either, yeah, it worked or no, it didn't work. And here's what I learned from it. And right. I think that stuff really connects with students. So awesome. Christy, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Very, very excited to have you. Thanks for having me. So um, I'm not going to speak for you. I want you to feel comfortable. Um, can you tell us a little bit about, you know, what are we doing here on the show today? Uh, well, I was invited to share my story as a survivor. I um, feel like I'm sitting across the table from a celebrity of Jason, um, who was the first to respond to um, my cardiac arrest call back in 2012. Um, Do you want to tell us just a little bit about how did that day start? What did you start with? Um, my boyfriend at the time, now husband, uh, Luke and I, we went out for a run, very familiar four mile run. Yeah. I had run um, the same loop um, the day prior by myself. Uh, and so we went out, I was training for a half marathon. Um, and we got, uh, we were close to home, uh, mile three 
and we were on, you know, almost home. And uh, the last thing I remember is turning the corner onto um, from Susie Wilson Road. Um, and um, I collapsed soon after. Um, my partner, Luke, um, flagged down um, a, a car that was driving by. Um, and we didn't have, he didn't have a phone with him. And so they called, uh, 911 that started the process. Um, another car that, uh, was flagged down went, we it happened right in front of the Rackets Edge in Essex. Super grateful to have had it happen at a busy intersection where there was, uh, lots of people around. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, uh, another, um, passerby went to the edge, grabbed the AED, um, Luke started rescue breaths while we were waiting, um, for EMT to arrive. Uh, clearly, obviously I remember none of this. Yeah, um, yeah. and, and then Jason showed up. Yeah. And, and Jason, you were, were you Essex? Yeah. So, on fire? um, I've been on Essex fire, uh, since high school, they had a cadet program. And so that's where, uh, um, I started as a cadet with Essex fire and I've been on ever since. Um, just a couple of years now. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, so I was actually at home, uh, probably not even a 10th of a mile away. Yeah. And, uh, pager went off and, uh, was actually packing my car, getting ready for a trip to head out of town. And, and, uh, my boys were with me and, and they looked at me and they're like, dad, you're going to go. And I'm like, uh, only if it's close by and if it's serious. And uh, so the message came out to respond to Susie Wilson and Kellogg Road for a female collapsed. And so I said, I'll be back. Uh, and so I jumped in my truck in Essex Fire. We have a uh, Essex Fire for, gosh, I can't remember when we started doing first response for all of the EMS calls in Essex. So we would first respond to any ambulance call within the town of Essex. And so that put a strategic... Uh, placement of EMS first responders all around the town of Essex. So in an event like this, um, you know, we would get there way before the ambulance was. Um, Essex Fire Department, we, um, you know, most of the members were uh, provided with an AED um, and then uh, a bag full of you know, chock full of EMS gear, oxygen, bag valve mask, trauma supplies, medical supplies, airways. Um, and I'm an advanced provider. So, um, I got, you know, advanced, uh, uh, things with me as well. So I responded over, um, as I, um, pulled up on the scene, uh, I saw, you know, Christy collapsed on the, on the side. Uh, she wasn't actually, she was in the green belt, um, off from the sidewalk. And so as I'm rolling up, I directed her husband to, uh, now husband to move her, uh, up onto the sidewalk. Um, I had been in 2012, I got my EMT in 1990. So, um, so had a few years experience underneath and I could tell right away that, yeah. um, Christy was in, you know, serious condition. So, um, and at the time I think, you know, Luke was doing rescue breath, but nobody was doing compressions. So I immediately told him start CPR, um, start doing compressions, um, got my AED and then put the AED on, um, it analyzed and delivered a shock. And then we started off and continued doing CPR. 
And then uh, was was it Essex Rescue or Colchester? Essex Rescue responded, um, but it was it was a little while, um, you know. And and when I got on scene, I confirmed that it was a cardiac arrest. You know, um, late twenties, I think you were. At the Thank time. you. You're welcome. Twenty <laughs> two. Were yeah. you? <laughs> 35 to uh, be exact. Yeah. Really? Oh, yeah. I, I thought you were 27. <laughs> yeah. Anyways. Um, yeah. I uh, confirmed, you know, young female cardiac arrest, uh, CPR in progress, delivered one shock. Um, uh, one of our coworkers from BFD, who was also a first responder, um, who was still, uh, I don't think he had started at Burlington yet. Um, he was working at Lowe's, he responded over. So the, both of us took over, uh, doing CPR. And so he started compressions and, and, uh, you know, I was managing, uh, Christie's airway. Um, I think we got four shocks in before Essex rescue arrived on scene. Um, so the AED was doing its job, you yeah. know, and that's just paramount to say how important it is to have, you know, defibrillators out into the community. You know, there was the defibrillator from the edge there, but, yeah. um, it wasn't in use yet because I think the person who brought it over just wasn't sure, yeah. you know, is, is yeah. this the right time to put it, put it on? I think one of the things we've stressed in our CPR classes, I don't know if you've heard this before too, is just the concept of providing this right away treatment, you know, just yeah. making that doorway assessment and treating them as aggressively as you can, making sure the AED is arriving on scene. Um, and that stuff's all super, super important. And what happened next? So you were, you delivered the shocks, that's just aggressive shows up. Yep. So we, we actually, um, um, again, I think, I think we either got four to six shocks in, you know, Essex rescue arrived on scene. I can remember while we were doing CPR, the compressions were so good that you actually started making noise. Um, and so we actually stopped CPR for a minute and reassessed you because we thought we got a pulse back. Um, yeah. and we've and, talked about that in our classes before, and that's yeah. probably related to, you know, the amount of time that you were down, you know, and the fact that you got that care so quickly yeah. and something we have talked about in our classes before is if, the people that are in your community who have pagers and those dispatch things, if they hear CPR in progress or unresponsive, not breathing, everybody's going to come out of the woodwork, yep. you know, just yep. like a uh, smoke showing or yeah, you know, yeah. fire in the basement. Oh, yeah. Everybody's <laughs> going to drop whatever they're doing. They're going to, you know, flip the burner off yep. on the stove and they're going to tell their honey, I'll see you later. And it could yep. be 10 minutes, could be three hours. And that's kind of, yep. that's one of those calls where everybody yeah. goes. We had a couple more first responders show up, um, you know, to help provide care. So we were able to, you know, and I will tell you, having been a, I've, I've been a CPR instructor since 1992. Um, and, you know, you know, the statistics before we, the Heart Association and the ECC changed the, the standards. And we've gone over some changes over the years, but I've never seen the drastic change in the successful outcome to CPR since they made the changes in 2010. Yeah. Um, in, in the way that we deliver CPR. Uh, and I think you're a result of that proof of, you know, high quality early CPR, early defibrillation. Um, so we, a few more people responded on scene and Essex Rescue got there. Um, and I think at this point we're up to our sixth shock um, and we got a pulse back. Um, Which and- is always, I don't know if you've, ever talked with any EMS providers about this, but I know Jason, I tell you, that's like probably the most rewarding thing you can experience in EMS. There's very, very few things. I know for me, that's the most rewarding thing is when I'm 
doing CPR yeah. on somebody or performing these, you know, these functions. And we've had calls where you go, you know, 17, 18, 19, 20 minutes, and then you get a pulse back and it's, it's just a, it's a game changer. It's like, yeah. we can get them there. We can, we can work on this yeah. and it's huge. So yeah. that goes a really long way. It's like, I was the joy that kind of flooded over me when I realized, Hey, we got a pulse back. And then, and then as we were loading you into the ambulance, you actually started breathing a little bit more, um, on your own. And, uh, you know, and I was like, yeah, you know, and, um, you know, and then from there it was fingers crossed saying prayers and, and, uh, you know, and, and I probably talked with, you know, your husband and, and, you know, and, told him what was going on, you know, and, and, uh, but that part of the story and that's where the hospital took over mm-hmm. and Essex rescue transported you took over and, you yeah. know, which is all part of the chain of survival. You know, we want to do those yeah. initial early nine one call, early AED use, early CPR, yeah. um, first response CPR, and then right into the higher level care, yeah. you know, but it, it goes a long way. And I don't know if you've ever, talked with kind of us about how our brains work but like at least what we're trained to do after years and years and years is take what we're supposed to be doing with our hands and with our skills and put them in this box and our emotions go in another box and they don't interact because we just have to focus on what we're doing but i know you're just like me because we're business partners and we're kind of cut from the same cloth that whole call all you're thinking in your head is like come on back here we go come on you're still a human being you just have to put that aside so that when you get that pulse back and your provider or you are feeling that during that 10 second pulse check and you say, I have a pulse back, that's when those things briefly connect. And then you separate them again, you go right back into doing what you're doing. So that's just a really, really special moment. And like you referred to with the cardiac survival statistics, um, you know, before all these big changes, we were looking at potentially 9% of people have a good cardiac you know, outcome after a cardiac arrest. You know, so to be able to sit here and record a show with something like that is just incredible. You know, especially and, out of hospital cardiac yes. arrest. Yes. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. And that's that's yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I mean, there's there's you know there's been cardiac arrests where I've got on and, you know and and you know at the hospital you know before we had paramedicine in the field here in Chittenden County, um, and in 2012 it was still fairly new here yeah. in Chittenden County, um, and. Uh, but I mean, you know, we would get report of a pulse back, but, you know, unfortunately they wouldn't, you know, be discharged from the hospital. Um, but, you know, yeah, I mean, you're, I'm sitting across from the table from somebody who, how many days were you in the hospital? Um, I think only five, five or six. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Which is incredible. Science yeah. and technology and, yeah. and all of it. When right. I, when I think back on it to, to know what my body went through. Right to then be able to recover that quickly is it's just incredible. Yeah, it is. Um, if you feel comfortable, you want to share a little bit about kind of what your recovery process was, you know, you, you wake up in the hospital and then, uh, that's kind of the, the start of the climb, right. Back to, back to normal. Um, yeah. So I have very little memory of, um, days before my event and then, you know, days after, um, uh, I, it felt like 51st dates, yeah, amnesia, sure, Groundhog yeah, Day, sure. whatever, however you want to describe it. <laughs> yeah. um, Luke was telling me my story over and over and over for days and just hearing Jason share it, you know, gives me goose. It's my story and I still get goosebumps hearing it. Yeah. Um, I think the thing that, you know, because it had the conversation had to happen so many times is I was in complete denial for quite a while. Um, 
in the hospital, I was basically told that I wasn't leaving without an ICD. Um, and I just, I didn't, I really didn't understand the seriousness of what had just happened. Um, so I certainly wasn't on board with that at first. Um, knowing that I wasn't leaving without it, certainly I had to get on board. Um, so I had my ICD placed, um, I think on day three following the event. Um, I, you know, when I first got to the hospital, I was in the ICU for a bit. Um, I was in a coma, you know, in a coma for, I think the, for the rest of the, the remainder of that day. And then I started to awake, um, in the middle of the, that night, um, Luke was there with me. And then that's when all the conversations started happening was after that. Um, I think the, the biggest thing looking back on it and still today is my memory is nowhere near what it used to be. Um, and so it's not surprising that I, you know, it's, everything is a little spotty from that time period. Um, you know, I think the adjusting, the biggest change at that time, you know, I was just focused. I wanted to go home and I wanted to move, you know, I just wanted things to go back to normal. And for me, that was, I needed to go home so that I could go back to work and, and, you know, resume life as I knew it before. And, um, nothing was really like it was before initially. Um, I couldn't drive for a while. I couldn't return to work. Um, I was in no condition to return to work either. Once I got home, I realized that and my body had been through a pretty significant trauma that, um, talking about CPR and how successful it was. Yes. I had a whole lot of broken ribs. Um, <laughs> yeah. so just, you know, j just the physical recovery from it sure. all. Um, you know, I was dealing with that at first. I don't really feel like the emotional, um, recovery or, you know, even, admitting to what had happened didn't come really until later that later that year. Um, I think it really came, um, it really came about when I felt ready to, um, connect with Essex rescue again. And that was almost two years after my, it was actually, it was a full year after my event. Um, cause again, I just, I felt like if I don't talk about it, it didn't happen. Um, the other, another big, um, life adjustment for us was, um, after that event, my, the doctors, uh, we had lots of conversations around pregnancy and the fact that my heart likely wasn't strong enough to carry a pregnancy, um, which was pretty devastating for, um, Luke and I at the time. Um, so again, I think the, the emotional, um, recovery from this was, it was pretty significant at first. Um, now looking back on it, I think, um, I changed so much about how I live my life, um, because of that day. And, um, sounds so strange, but I feel like dying was one of the best things that ever happened to me because now I'm not a workaholic like, well, some days, <laughs> but I really have just reprioritized who I am and, and, and my family is always number one. Um, you know, just taking better care of myself, how I manage stress, how I manage life in general. Um, 
Luke and I welcomed the most amazing little guy into our family through the help of um, one of my girlfriends who was our carrier for us. Awesome. Um, so though it was a, uh, August 16th was a crazy day in 2012. So much good came from it. Right. Yeah. That's a great way to look at it. And it takes a lot of healing to get to that place. I imagine. I know we've, we deal with a lot of trauma ourselves and then obviously, you know, everybody's significant others and families deal with trauma as well. And I just, you know, I, I have dealt with some personal stuff too, and I can see how much healing that took. And it's really amazing that you're able to share that story. And we talked a little bit about it on the pre-show, but being able to share that story with the people that were there with you, even if you don't necessarily know them in the beginning, goes such a long way. Mm-hmm. On one of the shows, I talked about a guy that we had uh, that came out of a house fire. And I remember seeing him, you know, deteriorate to the point where he went unconscious and ended up having to get intubated and go up to the ICU. And, you know, it was one of those experiences where I felt really helpless and I was just rushing to do everything I possibly could. And then, you know, a couple of months later, I was at the firehouse mopping the floor and he rings the doorbell and brings me a fruit basket and says, hey, do you remember me? And like those experiences mean so much to us. That was, you know, six, seven years ago. And I still remember exactly what he looked like, exactly what was in that basket. Those types of things go such a long way. I'm yeah. sure you've had experiences like that. And, you know, for you to feel comfortable sharing that story and connecting with people goes a really long way, because as you know, you know, with 9% of people surviving, that means that 91% of the time, you know, we go out there, it doesn't always end that way. The good news is with these King County, Washington, you know, high performance CPR programs that the state's adopting, those percentages are getting better and better and better. You know, we, the most recent study is, you know, showing closer to 40, you know, 45% in King County, Washington, which is awesome. And over here in Vermont, you know, places like Richmond Rescue and, you know, you have heart safe communities, meaning that they're saturated with AEDs and they're providing CPR courses. It's increasing that survivability percentage, which is amazing, you know, and at the Mm -hmm. end of the day, that's what, that's why we do what we do. That's why this company exists. That's why we work where we work. That's why we meet people like you is, so that when that call comes out, we can have a good outcome. Mm-hmm. And it's think, really important. I think the coolest thing was our reunion probably three years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I think I saw you at Essex Rescue when you came back there. Um, I'm not sure. We had, um, there was a dinner. It was like a, um, was I think a, it was a training night yeah. and there was a dinner. Right. And I was invited to the dinner and that was yeah. the first time that I met you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, uh, and then about three years ago, we, Nick and I were teaching a CPR class for, uh, the Essex school district. And, uh, you came, you, you walked through the door and that was, that was very different than that dinner at Essex rescue. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah. Being yeah. taught, uh, retaught CPR by the man who, um, performed CPR on you. Definitely something I never thought I would say. Yeah, right. That is a very (laughs) unique perspective that I don't think very many people have. Yes. I think um, Jason shared a little bit about um, my, the details of my call with, um, during that training with my staff without saying that it was, you know, that he was talking about me. So many people approached me who didn't know my story, um, approached me after the fact and said how that was the best CPR training that they had ever been through. Just having, knowing someone that um, CPR worked for, <laughs> saved their life, um, was just incredible. Yeah. 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 And what we've always told people is, 
you know, even if it's a 40% survival rate, that's 40 mothers, that's 40 daughters, that's 40. I mean, you are one and 39 other people nowadays would have that experience. And it's our job to train every day and go to work every day. And we check our monitor every single morning. We make sure that the airways are in there. Every little thing has a place and we check it every single day. We train every single day for those 40 people, you know, and, and Jason and I and Steve and Tim, we feel so strongly we we built this business around that. You know, we could be selling traffic cones. We could be selling hot dogs on the side of the road. But this is where we feel like we belong because of people like you. It's really yeah. important that we continue that training for everybody. Um, so I just want to really, really thank you for being here today. It's such an incredible story. Um, you know, I, I'm so lucky to be able to, you know, meet you through Jason on something like this and just, just put this down. And I hope... Uh, you feel comfortable sharing this with people because it just really is incredible. And there's EMTs and firefighters and first responders all over the world that need to hear this because they may be currently, you know, in that string of non-survivable mm-hmm. cardiac arrest. And to hear that there's some hope there is what drives us to do better all the time. It's really critical. I remember the feeling when I went to Essex Rescue for the first time, people I had never, who weren't a part of my call, um, who I'd never met, um, it's my story. It doesn't like, it feels small because it's, you know, it's mine. And I, anytime I I will never forget the day that I walked into Essex rescue for the first time, I felt, I really did feel like a celebrity that just so grateful for me to come back and show my appreciation to them. Um, it was just an incredible people, people cry, hugged me, cried, we cried together again, people I've never met just being so, you know, meeting a survivor, I guess, is the best way to, to put it. And just being so thankful to, to know that their efforts are noticed and, and go such a long way. Yeah. And that's probably the most dramatic outcome that we see in EMS. I mean, we'll probably go through our whole careers and having a survivor of a cardiac arrest or having a survivor of a really critical call like that, or a bad wreck or a bad fire. Those are kind of the, the pieces that when I'm 90 years old, sitting on my deathbed, those are going to be the faces that I remember as those ones that where we made a difference. And if at the end of the day, if Jason goes his whole career without rescuing a single other person, which I know he will, but if he, if he doesn't, he can remember that you're an example of why he did what he did. And his whole career was worth it because it was one person's life was changed. Yep. Pretty exciting. If you don't mind, can I ask, what did you get diagnosed with? What, what did they figure out happened? So my cardiac arrest was my second heart event when I was 30 or 22, (laughs) 30, um, I had a viral infection attack my heart, myocarditis. Oh, I'm in the Uh, same boat with you. I had that as well when um, I was 15. And they, for whatever reason, my heart didn't, um, didn't recover as well as my doctors anticipated, Uh, So I was left with a pretty significant amount of um, scar tissue. And um, I was seen in Boston at Brigham Women's um, for five years. Um, I, you know, the only limitations I really had was I had to be somewhat careful with exertion and exercise. Um, So instead of running full marathons, I um, (laughs) only did a half. Settled in on halves. (laughs) Um, it's and, only 13 miles. And so, um, my doctors, uh, my doc, my cardiologist here, um, has every reason to believe that something about 
the running that day that I was doing triggered um, my event that happened in 2012. Sure. So um, cardiomyopathy is, you know, the the main label that I have right now, but um, it, my first event was around myocarditis. Yeah. Well, I have to say you you do look great today. You look good. So (laughs) appreciate that. Well, Jason, thank you so much for joining us today. Hopefully we'll have you on the show again soon. Absolutely. Thanks for Um, doing these. Chrissy, thank you so much for being here. It's an incredible, incredible story. Um, And I'll make sure that you have access to this. It's on Apple. It's on iTunes. It's on Spotify. It's on um, netsvt.com and all that. So we'll make sure you have access to this. But thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me.